0: going to hopefully finish up on the marriage vows and uh, that song was dedicated to a couple who attends this church uh, and I have the pleasure of uh, marrying them this week I, I it's always <laughs> I've wondered what it's like if you attend this church and you have to call home and tell your mom and dad that you're going to get married, I say. <laughs> Hi, mom, uh, this is Chimisa Water Rights. <laughs> oh, hello, Janet. <laughs> Well, Mom, uh, Freddie and I are finally going to do it. We're going to get married. Oh, that's just wonderful, dear. I'm I'm so happy for you. Will it be a church wedding? <laughs> well, Mom, uh, well, it won't be a church wedding. Actually, the minister has to leave the church right after he gives the talk. Uh, oh, why is that, dear? Well, he he rents the church, Mom. <laughs> Uh, Janet, what what religion is this? Uh, It's the dispensable church. (laughs) Janet, I think I should get your father. (laughs) And then dad gets on the line, and you've got to explain about passing doves and uh, about singing row, row, row your boat. (laughs) But when you get to the Dunkin' Donut holes, you see, you win him over. This is why we have it. This (laughs) This he can understand, you see. <laughs> uh, now, last time, is this the fourth time we've done? All no, right, this is number four. Last time we talked about letting go. And the reason that is so essential in a marriage is that, or in a relationship that goes on and on, a friendship, a relationship with a parent, a relationship within a uh, organization a business is that there is this accumulation of the past that takes place within the relationship just as there is within the day just as there is within a lifetime and so we talked last time about the weight of the past and how it begins to pull us down as we get older pull us down as we go through the day and the little discouragements and the little irritations and so forth and the sense of something not being right accumulates. Well, of course, within the world, the same thing happens in a relationship. Now, before, people just grit their teeth and went on with the relationship. Now, there is a positive value in getting a divorce. And so, we have the phenomenon of... Uh, experts on talk shows and uh, books in bookstores actually hinting that uh, the key to happiness is to get a divorce. Uh, Of course, you've got to get married first. Uh, But this is actually a value now. Uh, It is one of the many backlashes that we are seeing at this particular time in history when the children of God have turned around and started walking back home. This happens to be the time in which we are living. And so instead of walking deeper and deeper into the ego, there is within this world now a a subtle shift. And for the first time, there is a new direction you can see just how far it has to go. You can look at this world and see how new is this beginning. But whenever there is a beginning of this sort, whether it's on a worldwide basis or whether it is within a single life, you can expect the ego to react. Now, the ego, as we use it here, is a term for what you might call your idle wish as opposed to your deep, deep heart's desire. Your idle wish to hurt people, to condemn yourself, to be always right, and on and on and on. We use the word ego simply to isolate that part of our mind, to show that it is confined, And to point at the same time to the heart, or the deeper self, or the higher self, or all the other terms that there are, where your true desire lies. Because in your heart, you know you wish to help people and not hurt them. You wish to heal and not condemn. And it's that simple. But at this point, there does seem to be a conflict. An enormous conflict, in fact, once you begin to notice it. And so when you throw your weight toward gentleness and kindness and the peace of God, because you are conflicted, you react. Or to put it in other terms, your ego reacts. And we call it the ego so that you will know it is not yourself. It is this identity you have established in the world that must be special at all costs. That must be separate. And it does react because the feeling is it is weakening. Whenever we make any effort to be kind, there can be this reaction. Now, the reaction is nothing to fear because it is our reaction. We choose to go back. We choose to to leave the gentleness and to try fear once again, to try making people feel guilty or whatever tactic we may use. And that is indeed an ego reaction. And so within this world, we can see this kind of reaction taking place. Now, the last three lines of our little uh, vows that we we have here at the dispensable church or i love you i bless you i want to walk home to god with you but you must understand that your ego does not want you to walk home with anybody And it may not be peaceful for you to walk home with the particular person with whom you are living at the moment. It may not be possible for you to form what the Course calls a holy relationship with, with your parent or your child at the moment. But at some point, you will try in earnest to do this. With someone, you will begin. With someone, you will say, God is in this person. Let me see God in this person. And you will begin. And it really doesn't matter where you begin, except that you begin in a place that is peaceful for you to begin, that you not try some impossible task. But one of the things that will war against this is this accumulation. Accumulation of grievances. And the mounting history of the relationship. So that eventually the relationship does not seem worth it. And this little reaction that we now see within the world is that any relationship that is not worth it should be turned from. Any relationship that does not give you, and then there's a whole menu, a whole ego menu uh, that you are supposed to look down to see if you're getting all this from your spouse. Um, And of course, your spouse or your close friend or whomever you are trying to to see God's peace and to be at peace with this person will not live up to, to anything like that. They're at the same level of learning, perhaps, that you are. And so they too are making mistakes. It's just that you think your mistakes are reasonable. (laughs) So we must let go of everything that happens and not allow this accumulation to continue. When something happens between you and another person, you must sit down and let it go. Now the temptation will be to sit down and let it go all but for just a little bit. So that you get up from your your work, your moment of trying to let what the person said go or what you did to them go or what embarrassing thing happened go or what rumor you've heard go and you still have just a little bit of anger because they deserve to be punished, your ego will tell you. And you must be vigilant that they get what's coming to them This is in the back of the mind. You cannot let it go completely, your ego says, because they shouldn't get away with this. And so, you must be vigilant that you let it go completely so that you do not carry it with you because it attaches itself to the relationship and it appears to weight the entire relationship down and this whole thing accumulates and it does indeed eventually seem that this relationship is not worth it And so you start another relationship and of course the same process starts up once again. So let's go to the next line. I love you. The world of course has a definition of love. It's buying presents and uh, remembering anniversaries and writing home and Oh, I'll have to tell you, I, uh, I realize that, that the dew of innocence is still on my cheeks, and this will be a big shock to you, but I was actually married before. Uh, Gail and I have been married uh, 18 years, but when I was 20, I got married. Um, and um, we were both very young uh, in every way possible. <laughs> and, uh, I remember when our marriage started to go bad, which was very quickly. Uh, <laughs> I, I forget how long the marriage lasted. I think I think it was a little over two years. But at some point in there, I I began to think something is not right. This is things aren't going well. So I went to a florist. <laughs> <laughs> Sound familiar? I right, know. I went to a florist and I said. Uh, I want to make an arrangement with you, for you to send my wife flowers once a week, forever. And I walked out in complete confidence, this will do it. (laughs) It did not do it. because the flowers would come every week and she realized all I had done is just set up some deal with a forest, you see. And where was the love and the consideration? It, it, it won't work that way. But the ego thinks it, that uh, that's all we have to do. All we have to do is just grab someone by the shoulders, shake them gently, look into their eyes and say, but don't you know I love you? And then, of course, this is all taken care of and we can go just proceed on our merry way. To, and But, of course, it doesn't work that way. Nor is it true that giving presents, or saying I love you, or patting someone, or taking extra special good care of them when they're sick, or whatever the thing may be, it does not follow that love is not in those things. It's neither in it nor not in it. Love is in our heart. And so the mistake is either relying on those overt measures, the ones we have been taught, which of course are different than the person that we are forming a relationship with. They have a little bit a little different set of, of gestures that they consider to love. So the so the temptation is either to rely too heavily on the gestures or to turn away from the gestures in the name of truth, in the name of virtue. I will not give any presents at Christmas. This is not right, what's happening to our country. But the person feels loved when you give them a Christmas present. And so, yes, of course you can see through the hypocrisy of any of these gestures. But don't throw away the gesture if it spells I love you to a particular person. Just see that it does and ask yourself, can you make this gesture in peace? And then make it. Because it will make you happy to do that Sunday before last uh, I uh well, what happened was after after the service, I received an anonymous turkey now uh, and with the turkey came the message that I had looked tired during the the service. I can tell you this opened up a whole vista to me. I, How could I now look? You know, if looking tired would produce a turkey, then uh, <laughs> uh, I thought perhaps I could look broke. <laughs> but, you know, there's a limit to what you can look. Uh, <laughs> it's I found it's I couldn't think of how to look transportationless. <laughs> However, uh, it is possible to look homeless. Uh We mentioned little Orphan and Annie uh, last year, <laughs> and uh little Orphan and Annie, of course, looks homeless because she has large eyes. Now does that make any sense? <laughs> uh, well, anyway. As so often happens, you don't know how these thoughts come into someone's mind, but it so happens that at the very time I was called and told that someone was bringing a turkey dinner over to me, we had just been saying, what are we going to do for dinner? And we had nothing to do. And a turkey is one of those things you can you know, live on for a week, which we proceeded to do. <laughs> and this turkey not only came with uh, stuff full of dressing, I'm going to make you want these donut holes after the service. <laughs> but there were fresh uh zucchini and uh, squash from the from the uh, whoever these people's were garden uh they had uh, little side dishes. Uh knowing me well they even had some uh, chocolate candies. They had uh, heating up instructions and they even had flowers for the table. Uh Indeed, we felt loved and blessed. Uh, I don't know, I can't tell you why, but obviously the gesture was not empty. It it blessed us. The anonymous part helped. We we couldn't feel guilty. (laughs) We didn't know who we were supposed to pay back. (laughs) Uh, And of course, it is a mistake when we think in terms of presence and these gestures to ever make any of them out of a sense of guilt, our duty. And this is difficult to learn. This is a hard thing to learn. We believe so wholeheartedly in our gestures, the gestures that mean I love you, that we think we owe them to people. And we think we know what gesture we owe. We think we must sit down and write a thank you letter that we must uh, bring the almondine over if we're being invited to, to dinner or whatever the thing is. At least in, in, the, in Berkeley, that's what it was. Someone's going to Berkeley. I remember you always brought a big thing of either uh, Red Mountain or of almondine and if you were invited over. So it is a very good thing not to tell yourself what gesture is needed. And if you notice that there's a sense of sacrifice or duty or guilt in the giving, I can promise you it's better to not do it. Because the person will actually feel ever so slightly injured by the gift. If you have given it out of a sense of duty, or guilt, or with any sense of sacrifice or fear whatsoever, they will feel injured because they will feel that somehow they have made you do something that you did not want to do. And no one wants to be cast in that role. So as we said last time, give in every way you can to every person you can think of, but only do those things you can do in absolute peace. Sit down and see, can you do this thing you're thinking of In peace. If not. Don't do it. If you can take a moment. And do it without conflict. Then the chances are excellent. That it will bless. How do you know. If you've given a gift in love. Well you know. Because it made the person happy. Right? No. No. You don't know it that way. You know it because they thank you. No, you don't know it that way. You know it because it improves the relationship. It makes things better at home. makes things better at the office because you've done this thing. That's how you know you did it well or you did it right. No, that is not the way you know. You do not know anything by the reaction you get in the world. It is true that when you are gentle and you are peaceful that the world tends to to run more smoothly. But this is not a law of manipulation that you can pull out of your back pocket and wield at any given moment. You may receive thanks, you may not. It is not easy to be a teacher of God, and that is what you wish to be. And sometimes your gift will be acknowledged, and sometimes you will receive credit But many times it will go unnoticed and occasionally you will even be attacked for it. If you are attacked for it, that does not mean you did not give the gift with sincerity. Waste no time in telling yourself that you have made a mistake. It is always an unuseful line of thought for you to try to go back and guess whether or not you did it right. And if ever you find yourself thinking, I wonder if I made a mistake. That means you're looking at the picture in the world. You're looking to the world for confirmation. The only confirmation for truth comes from truth and not from the world. The only confirmation of peace comes from the peace of God. And the only time you can experience the peace of God is now. So most of our mental time is spent in either condemning ourselves for what happened in the past or fantasizing about the future. But God is now. Never condemn yourself for what happened in the past and never fantasize about the future. Return to God now and you will make progress. This business of gestures has been a difficult one for me personally to learn. I grew up in a family of uh, Christian scientists, and I don't know if that's the reason or not, but uh, things like birthdays and so forth were not celebrated. As far as I can tell, that had nothing to do with Christian science, but it did have something to do with with, uh, the way the uh, particular people around me interpreted it. So I just grew up not ever paying attention to uh, things like anniversaries and all that stuff. And so I had sort of said, because I feel... You see, we think our ego is reasonable. You must not underestimate this insanity, that whatever you do, you think is reasonable. And I thought that my position on all this stuff was reasonable because it was the way I felt. It was not the way I felt. There is no way to feel about anything in the world. And if you feel some way about something in the world, I can promise you it's coming from your ego. But I felt that these things should be, uh, that these were not important things, And so I did not uh, do them. And I want to tell you a few things that have happened to me just recently to show me how important these gestures can be to certain people. And I must look very carefully and see what spells love to this person. There was a woman who had a massive heart attack. Was taken to St. Vincent's. And uh, the doctors who examined her said she is not going to live 24 hours. And a friend of mine visited this woman. And the woman said, there's no reason for me to live. I know that my son does not love me. And uh, the friend said, uh, oh, I'm sure your son loves you and uh, so forth. And. The friend said, no, I just, you know, I don't know what's happened, but my son doesn't love me. Now, this particular woman had grown up in England and had quite a different uh, way of looking at love than the son who had grown up in this country. The son had gotten married and so forth. It so happens that when the son heard the information, that although he was in a very difficult job, a job that was extremely difficult to leave, it so happened that what he did was that he and his wife got on the plane and flew down here immediately and he visited his mother. And this was absolute shock to her. Never did she think that her son would do that. She The next day she was sitting up in the bed And the third day, the doctors were questioning whether or not she'd even had a heart attack. A gesture can be the difference between life and death. Just a gesture. Do not withhold the gesture that you know means love to your parent or to your child unless it is absolutely unpeaceful for you to make it. You cannot know the effect that the gesture alone might have if you make it sincerely. I know a man whose daughter did not call him for three months on the phone. This man decided that his daughter did not love him and he wrote her out of the will. That's what the gesture meant. When the daughter found out. She didn't care about being. Written out of the will. But she did notice. That she had completely overlooked. The importance. Of her calling home. I love you. So often that means. An ego alliance. We agree on what to attack there's a a, a peculiar sensation that you will feel as a matter of fact when you are with someone and you think of something to bring up that you know they will side with you about that you can attack I want you to get to know this feeling if you don't know it yet the feeling of oh boy let's criticize so and so you see And you will actually bring it up. Or they have brought up and so there's this opening for you to jump in. I would like very much for you to become highly suspicious of that opportunity. To jump in and attack someone. There is a completely false sense of oneness that comes from that. Actually, you are separating yourself from the person who stands before you if you join with them with your heart in an attack that doesn't mean you refuse to talk or something like that it doesn't mean you point out that they're attacking someone it simply means that you do not allow your heart to get caught up in an attack this will not bring you closer to anyone but this is what the ego thinks Love is. And in the case of marriage, it thinks it's you and me against the whole world. That the entire world must be attacked. And this, of course, is merely the setting up of an aura of anxiety within the relationship. Because you know that if someone will attack a third person in your presence... You know, of course, they will be attacking you as soon as you're out of earshot. And so all that's being taught when we agree with other people's attacks is that we have agreed with the value of attacking. And as I've said before, it is better to stand there and be confused than it is to join in the attack. It's alright to be confused. It's alright to stand right there. And not know what to say. It's better even to fidget. And uh, just do anything you want to do. That it is to join in the attack. You do not have to join in the attack. Yes you are being called upon to do that. But you wish not to do that. And you wish not to denounce the person for attacking. And this is very confusing, and it takes a great deal of practice to begin to get a sense of what to do, an instinct for what to do in situations like that. But if you will work at it, you will eventually be both harmless, gentle, and at the same time, you will not join in the attack. So the person will not feel condemned because you didn't join in, and you won't join in. This takes tremendous practice, but begin the practice. Start it right away. And one thing that you can do when you find yourself fidgeting and not knowing what to say because they've just attacked so-and-so, or they just ask you, don't you agree with such-and-such position, and you don't wish to take a position, is that you can turn and ask for help. that is always an option to turn and ask for help. So what does I love you mean? I love you means simple kindness. It means being actively kind, but with peace. It means patience. It means understanding that the person is doing the best they can. That at best they're repeating some mistake that has been handed down generation after generation. Of course, if you could go back and see everything this person had gone through, you would understand. But on some level, you do understand. And so act as if you understand. That calls for no statement from you. It calls for no behavior or action. Simply understand where this person is. Do not rank them. Don't tell yourself that you know more than they do. Simply understand why they are doing this. If they are criticizing you, they are issuing a call for help. Understand that. See if there is some way you can go in and share the burden of their ego. See if there's some way you can help them. Understand. Be patient. Be kind. I love you means total acceptance. It doesn't mean saying yes. And it doesn't mean saying no. It means acceptance. You simply accept that this person is where they are. You accept where you were a year ago. Where you were 20 years ago. You accept it. Of course you forgive it. Of course this person will go beyond this point. And of course they can't do anything other than what they're doing at this instant. And so do you wish to condemn them? Will that help them love more and be a better person if they feel condemnation from from still one more individual? Isn't it the condemnation they've already felt in their life that is causing them to act out in this particular way. And so how will your condemnation help them? You want to help them in the right direction. So accept them and love them. It is never helpful to take a stand against a position that someone cherishes. If you see that someone cherishes a certain position. Notice that your ego will want to disagree with it. Or at least distinguish you In some position. And yet you are hearing a hundred opinions a day. And with each opinion you hear, your ego will try to distinguish itself. Notice this. It wants to separate itself from the opinion. It isn't helpful for you to take a stand against a position that someone else cherishes. It isn't helpful for you to tell someone that they're wrong if they have decided to do this. If they've decided to do it, accept them. Be their friend. Support them. They need a friend. They don't need a judge. That's all that love means. You are an absolute friend to every single person you meet. That's what love means. An absolute best friend. You accept them, you support them, you take them where they are, and you love them. I bless you. Now, at this particular time, what we've got is, the general philosophy at this particular time is, if I love you, I can fight with you. If we're not fighting, our love isn't very deep. And so there you are. You're driving along with uh, somebody, and they say, "Stop the car." And they run out, and they, they they there's this bed of petunias over there, and they start stamping down all the petunias. And they come back in the car, and they say, "You say, why did you do that?" "Oh, I just love petunias so much." <laughs> And you go you over to somebody's house and uh, they've got uh, five cats and oh about every half hour they get up and they throw a glass of water on one of the cats. <laughs> makes the cat very unhappy, as you know. Cats do not like water. Why do you do that, so-and-so? That's my favorite cat. I mean, that's how much sense this makes that you must fight with the persons you love and the more you fight, the deeper the love is. This is total insanity that to make someone unhappy is a key to how much you love them Please dismiss this please if you are if you are watching the talk show and someone gets up there and starts on this line would you kindly go and shut the set off this is absolute silliness love is love love isn't hurting people or making them unhappy are opposing them, or somehow uh, stamping them into the dirt with your uh, righteousness. Now, there are subtle forms of this. Maybe you can see that. Maybe you can see that to argue with someone is not a sign of love. It's a sign of insanity. It's a sign that you have chosen to be right rather than to be happy. That's all it's a sign of. But there are subtle forms of this, like making people jealous. This will somehow deepen their love for you if you make them jealous, you see. Or that to break someone's heart, someone adds a new and and profound dimension to the relationship. So, I bless you is part of it. I love you and I bless you. You see the sanity of that? Not, I love you and I argue endlessly with you. (laughs) There's no sanity in that. An argument will get you nowhere. It will not ventilate your anger. It will not keep you from suppressing something. It is an exercise in total futility. No one wins an argument nothing is accomplished in an argument. If you are arguing with someone, you are wrong. And furthermore, your position is wrong. Because your position has nothing to do with the issue. And so, perhaps you argue about whether or not uh, the teenage boy should have the car taken away from him because he didn't take out the garbage. And your position is the car should be taken away. And your Spouse's position is no, uh I don't think uh, I think the car should be given to them. This has nothing to do with the issue. Or we should spend this money or we shouldn't spend this money, a favorite argument in relationships. One person wants to spend the money, the other person doesn't want to spend the money. It has nothing to do with the issue. Both people are wrong. The issue is peace, and that's the only issue there is. And so whether the car is taken away from the teenager because he didn't take out the garbage or whether the car is given to the teenager is irrelevant. Peace is the issue. How to bring peace to the family is the only issue. And so whatever stand you've taken is automatically wrong because it has nothing to do with peace. You cannot be at peace with your brother and your sister if you take a stand opposed to him. And nor does that mean that you say yes. You take a stand on the peace of God. You become Christ, even though you've made a mistake for the past five minutes. When are you going to walk home? Now, in the middle of the argument, when you've remembered, don't be afraid to become Christ. You are Christ. You are the love and the peace and the gentleness of God. What do you think love made you if it didn't make you love? What do you think gentleness made you if it didn't make you gentle? Don't be afraid to be gentle. Don't be afraid to be kind. Don't be afraid to break with the situation. Go sit on the toilet and tell yourself what you need to hear. There are extreme situations. There's a situation in which your spouse is an alcoholic, or your spouse is a drug addict, or your spouse is beating you up. Now, many people on a spiritual path think that somehow they are responsible for those kinds of situations and that they must endure them and that if they can do some mental trick, it's going to change the drug addict into a non-drug addict. It's going to stop the the, uh, assaulter into a non-assaulter. And it's going to cure the alcoholic. This is not true. Was there anyone further along than Jesus Christ? Do you see how far along he, he was? What effect did that have on the disciples? Even as he ascended, they went back to, their, to the same old stuff they were doing. Here they had been traveling around with him and hearing everything he had to say. They'd been seeing healings and everything else. And so what did they do? They went right back to fishing and everything else that they were doing. They just forgot that the whole thing happened. Did his advanced state of learning keep them from betraying him? He, of course, did not see it as a betrayal. He immediately came back and helped them. But in their minds, they thought they had done that. His advanced state of learning changed nothing. It is not your responsibility to cure the alcoholic or to stop the assaulter. Or if you're living with someone who has affair after affair after affair and you sit down and you look in your heart and you say, I can't live with this. Then you can't live with it and get out of the situation or take some step. Do whatever you do in peace. Your purpose is peace. And so, of course, you do only what is necessary and this is the big mistake that people make. It isn't enough that they simply leave the house or that they uh, talk the person into receiving counseling or whatever it is they do. But they also have to get a little revenge in addition to it. And so it's not enough. They also have to put the person in jail, make sure they're prosecuted, and they spend the next two years going through some trial that can in no way... Help them to uh, get home. I'm not saying that you should not go through a trial. And I'm not saying you shouldn't testify against someone. But I'm saying it's only do what's necessary. And when you find yourself in a situation that seems to you chronic and hopeless and your mental state is deteriorating and you're not being a good father to your children or a good mother to your children and you feel like you're losing your sanity... Don't, in the name of truth, think you're supposed to stay in the situation. Do whatever will bring you peace. Don't tell yourself what it means. If you need to go check into a motel for a few nights and this seems to be what would be peaceful, do it. Don't tell yourself that this means divorce or it means anything. It means that for your sanity and to continue your walk home, you've got to get away for a little bit. Or perhaps you have to bring the whole relationship to a complete halt. Do whatever you need to do, but only what's necessary to do today. Don't try to think about what you will need to do tomorrow about a situation like that. This will simply confuse you because it will scare you about the ramifications of the simple step that you're taking. You don't know what going to the motel will mean. You don't know what effect this will have. Don't tell yourself what it's leading to. Because you don't know what it's leading to, just ask yourself: For my peace of mind, would it be best if I checked into a motel tonight, or if I went to the safe house, or if I called uh, so and so's AA friends and told them they've gone off the wagon, or whatever else it is that you need, you think you need to do? Just do what you need to do today to restore your peace. Don't be afraid, if you're on a spiritual path, to take some simple, overt action. Just don't take a terrifying, fearful reaction. This is the mistake the ego makes. It thinks it has to combat terror with something terrifying and drastic. Do only what's necessary, but do it. And do it quickly. And do it easily. And do not, for one minute, allow yourself to feel guilty. Because you know when you sat down, it seemed to you at that moment that this was the most peaceful thing to do. That also is included in I bless you. I bless you does not mean I become a doormat for your ego. If you must be a doormat for someone's ego and you can't help it, and you cannot do anything, then at least be a peaceful doormat. (laughs) <laughs> don't be a resentful doormat make a career of it if you wish to be a martyr be a happy martyr <laughs> love being a martyr and see how you can add to it in peace because I realize there are people who cannot get themselves out of situations that it would probably be best if they got themselves out of at least temporarily temporarily and if that's the case, then tell yourself, I can't, do, I can't take a step right now. So let me look at the situation. Let me be honest. This person isn't going to change right now. They may change in the future, but they're not going to change now. That being the case, how do I wish to proceed? You want to walk home. You want the peace of God. That's how you wish to proceed. And so be the peace of God as best you can in every way you can. And the last line is, I want to walk home to God with you. That is the acknowledgement that we are one self. Now, there are many relationships, most, in fact, the vast, vast majority, which are just not far along enough to practice certain things. There will be a time in which you will have a relationship, whether it's with a spouse or a friend, or an employee, or a relative, and what you can say to yourself, I will treat everything this person says to me as if it came from Jesus, or whoever else you wish to use as your example of the perfection of God. And I will do whatever they ask me to do. Most relationships have not reached that point. And you you will know whether or not your relationship has reached that point by the amount of distress you feel when you take that position. If it makes you peaceful for you to give everything and demand absolutely nothing, then you're ready for it. That's how simple it is. If If it doesn't, if things get worse when you do that, you're not ready for that position, but someday you will. Someday you will realize that just as there's only one self, there is only one ego. And that everybody's ego is yours. And that you wish to shoulder the burden of this person's ego because it must begin with one person. And so that time will come But do not take that burden on, even though there are statements that address itself to that stage of learning in A Course in Miracles and many other teachings of truth. If it doesn't bring you peace, you're not ready for it. So why not take the step that will bring you peace and get you to that point? Start with something that you can do, which is practicing seeing no differences. Now, I want to tell you about Gail and me. Um, we had a lot to forgive with each other uh, when we got married. I, uh, Gail was actually a Goldwater girl at the time that I married her. And I was writing editorials to the Dallas Morning News in support of Lyndon Johnson. And when this came out one night on the phone, I told you we only knew each other two weeks before we got married, but we, we did make a few phone calls back and forth. <laughs> uh what? A Goldwater girl? So forth. Uh, now, if we had not chosen to see no differences between us, then uh, the we never would have gotten married. You can begin practicing that, seeing no differences. That's a subtle, or that's a, 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 that's a, a gentle version of there is only one ego. You just see no difference. How do I do that? You just begin doing it. If you will just begin practicing that, let that truth seek in your, sit in your heart and say there are no differences uh, and I will see no differences. We are one. Then you will find gentle ways to bring that truth about in your experience. Don't tell yourself what the truth means. Just as you do not tell yourself who is the person you will first see yourself in. Where will you first see Christ? You look straight at Christ and you do not see him, says A Course in Miracles, when you look at your brother. Who will be the first person? This question comes from the ego. You will simply find it happening as you go about practicing love that there is someone in your life where you are beginning to feel more and more peace in their presence And then you will see that their ego is yours. And you will accept it as your own. And every time they get in trouble, and if someone's irritated, I can tell you they are in trouble, you rush to help them. You rush to to hold their ego up. Hold up the burden of their ego. And that will be a, a beautiful moment. But until then, take the steps that you can And I, I was a uh, G.A. for the Dale Carnegie course. Now isn't that a lot to forgive? What? The Dale Carnegie course? G.A. is a graduate assistant. I was an assistant teacher for the Dale Carnegie course. This is, I mean, this is the state of depravity that Gail and I were in. Goldwater Girls and Dale Carnegie. Now, of course, that's not true. I could pick anything else. One thing has no more depravity than another. But to her, it was just awful that I would be associated with the Dale Carnegie course, and I couldn't believe she was a Goldwater girl, you see. And so begin seeing no differences. Begin, if you can't do that, at least begin not contrasting yourself with the other person in your conversation especially when you're around other people, notice that you may have a tendency to do this, to contrast yourself with your partner or your friend. So you and your friend are out with someone else and you're both trying to impress this someone else and you will, without realizing it, contrast yourself with your partner. You've got to tell the story or you correct the story that's being told in some detail. Are you... Are you a, Uh, distinguish yourself in what foods you like and so forth, at least don't do that. It doesn't make people happy for you to contrast yourself with them, and it's not necessary. I realize this leaves you in a state of confusion to hear these kinds of things. Well, what am I going to talk about? If I can't attack anyone, I can't contrast myself with the person. What am I going to say? It's better to be confused than it is to sink back into your ego. In a state of confusion, you just might turn to God and say, Help! (laughs) And if you do, something will come to you, something gentle to do, and you'll take a step home. Now, I want to end with a little exercise. Because I know talking about relationships just strikes terror in most people's hearts. (laughs) They think that something different is being said. So they think that when I talk about relationships, I'm saying something different than when I say on Sundays that I don't talk about relationships. If you'll listen carefully, I'm not saying anything different. It's all the same. Everything's the same. So what should you do? If this talk has scared you, if you're confused about what to do about relationships, erase everything you've heard today. I will give you a simple thing to do. Go out with your heart singing, remembering only this. Here it is. Close your eyes and I'll lead you through this. Now here's the the thing to do. You will tell yourself what you're doing and you will do it as peacefully as you can. So you tell yourself what you're doing and you do it as peacefully as you can. So what are you doing now? Silently tell yourself what you're doing right now. Is there some way you can do it more peacefully? And now I want you to think about after this service. What are you going to do after this service? Perhaps you're going to go back into the white, the den of white sugar. All right. Now, if you are, I want you to tell yourself that. So I want you to picture yourself getting up. It's after the service. You're walking about. There's the white sugar on the table. Now, say I'm walking toward the donut hole. The chocolate covered one. And see yourself walking toward it in peace. All right. Now it's after the service. You're driving home. See yourself right now driving home. And as you see yourself in the car, tell yourself, I'm driving a car. And try to drive it in peace. So right now, see yourself driving the car and see yourself driving it more peacefully. Do you see how you instantly know how to do that? And now you're having lunch. Tell yourself, I'm having lunch. I will do it with as much peace as I can. Let me be at peace. Let me eat lunch in peace. Now, watch yourself eat lunch with more peace. Do you see how you instantly knew how to do that? Do whatever you do in peace and you will walk into the welcoming arms of God.